We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's turn our Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 15, if you would please. Matthew chapter 15, we now cross the halfway mark in the Gospel of Matthew after, I forget how long now, uh, over a year for sure. It's been good stuff. But we're in Matthew 15, and uh, let me read the first 20 verses of the chapter if you want to follow along or listen along as I read. <clears throat> this all kind of hangs together in one subject, if you will, or one topic, although there are kind of two interwoven themes here, and we're going to try to tease those apart and explicate them a little bit. So Matthew chapter 15, it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near me with their lips, or with their mouth rather, and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Sounds like a tear, doesn't it? Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. Now, when he says explain this parable, He's not talking about the blind leading the blind falling into the ditch. What he's talking about is about the, what goes into the mouth and what comes out of the mouth. That was what was confusing, and we can tell that because of Jesus' answer. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand? Now, when he says understanding, notice back in verse 10, hear and understand. And he's telling his disciples, are you still without understanding also? Do you not yet understand, verse 17, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. 
Let me give you the overall structure here just to review this. The scribes and the Pharisees ask a question with criticism built in to the question about the disciples transgressing the tradition of the elders, verses 1 and 2. They, the disciples, there, were, there was no uh, objection to the charge that they were not washing their hands before they ate anything. So remember that time they were walking through the grain fields and they, you know, they didn't stop first at the local wash basin and wash their hands and then start eating. Um, that wasn't the case, you know, that wasn't the, the, the setting here, but it was the same situation here. That was happening. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees and the scribes with his own question. Remember, they said, why are they transgressing the what? Tradition. Jesus says, why are you transgressing the what? The commandments of God, not the traditions. And he uses the very same word, transgress, that they used. They were taking their words, elevating them to the status of commands from God and saying a transgression of that is worthy of some kind of censure or punishment, and the Lord calls them out on it. They were guilty of a much worse violation of the command of God as over against the tradition of men. And so he briefly explains the question that he asked to them about uh, the whole thing with them not honoring their parents. Basically what they were doing is laundering money through the temple um, financial instruments. They were using uh, fancy excuses or what we might call sophistry, you know, arguments using words to try to get around the obvious, you know, like, like today people talk about abortion like reproductive rights. <laughs> Look, you can call a rose by any other name, it's still the same, and you can call a bunch of trash by any other name, but it's still trash. And that's what's happening. People think that there's such simple-mindedness that they think they can, you know, crust something over and hide it with, with other words. And that's what was happening here. Jesus then rebukes their hypocrisy in verses 7 to 9. He calls them onto the carpet and and uh, says, Isaiah was prophesying about you. He, really wasn't, he wasn't really making a prophetic pronouncement or prediction of what was going to happen in the future. He was saying that of Israel during the time, wasn't he? And that became a prophecy in a way to the current generation during Jesus' time, 700 years later. So he rebukes their hypocrisy. Then he turns to the crowd and he explains to the crowd that defilement is not caused by what physically goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth in terms of speech. And really, that's kind of a, a figure of speech itself that stands in the place of activities, actions, um, speech, not just words, but you know the, the actions and attitudes and thoughts of a person. Now, this is a bit unclear to the disciples, and they're going to ask about it uh, with Peter in the lead here in just a few verses. So the disciples interact with the fact that the Pharisees were offended by what he said. Um, I mean, there's no surprise there, right? Everything he said offended them, uh, not because he was wrong, because they were taking offense at things they shouldn't take offense at. It reminds me of the kind of snowflakishness today. People take offense at every little perceived thing. They kind of construct a little, you know, on a sentence, they construct a whole superstructure and make you into a, a racist or whatever. 
in their minds, and they're taking offense when no offense was intended. Um, and why, is, why, why does that happen? Well, that's because there's no love in their hearts for the person that they're criticizing. They don't love, they hate. And um, that's, that's a, sad, a sad testimony and commentary on our society today. But they hated everything about Jesus, so they tried to twist everything that he did and said into some uh, machination to get him into trouble. Um, and so the, the Lord charged the disciples. He just said, look, guys, just move on. He says to them, verse 14, let them alone. Let them alone. Just forget about them. Move on to the next thing. Um, the Pharisees were blind, and they were destined to fall into a ditch. Uh, you who have had your eyesight for all your lives, like I have, probably have at times, maybe more so in your childhood, have tried to do things with your eyes blindfolded, or you just close your eyes and you try to you know, say, I'm going to walk from here to there and see if I can make it. And before you know it, you're you know, off in some place, you open your eyes and you're like, hmm, I didn't realize that I was off the path this much. Um, this is what happens morally to people who can physically see, but morally are blind. And they, they go ways, they, the people in the world do things that are, that are like, obviously like, you know, mister, you're going to run into the wall, don't do that. But they're doing it anyway, because they don't understand their own blindness and the effect that it's having on them. So uh, they were destined to fall into the ditch, along with all who followed them. Now then Jesus finally explains the parable about things going into or coming out of the mouth and really teaches us that the true source of man's problem is not unwashed hands, but an unwashed heart. That's the issue. Not an unwashed hand, but an unwashed heart. Now there are two interconnected things going on in the passage here. Uh, one is the specific question about the unwashed hands, and Jesus gives his answer to that. Uh, you have the question, and then you have kind of an interlude, and then Jesus' answer to the question. And then the other kind of theme interwoven in here is what happens in the middle of the passage, and that is the hypocrisy issue of the Pharisees teaching about hand washing while they're ignoring the commands of God. It's kind of like you know, as the old saying goes, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, particularly after it has already struck the iceberg and is at about a 45-degree angle going down. You know, it doesn't make sense for them to be talking about such trivial matters when there are much more important matters at hand. Um, our society is inflicted with this disease all the time, all the time. I mean, just witness you know, the kind of entertainment segment of society while Rome burns, while children are killed, while nations are being troubled, while Christians are being persecuted, while basic rights are being undermined, sports go on and entertainment goes on and people just are soaked up with those things. Trivialities, total trivialities. And the Pharisees are doing it, talking about not washing your hands when their hearts are unwashed and they're going to hell. What is wrong with us that we think like this as a society? Washing hands or washing hearts? What's the priority? Oh, that the Pharisees would come and say to Jesus, we have unwashed hearts. Cleanse our hearts. Mark chapter 7 
gives a few details about this matter of unwashed hands or unwashed hearts. And it says in Mark 7, 1, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? I just wanted to read that to give you that little more insight in how they had this kind of fastidious practice of, you know, when they went out, they came back in, or they washing these cups and different ways to wash copper vessels and all of this sort of stuff. What was the tradition exactly that uh, they're talking about in Matthew 15 and verse number 2, the tradition of the elders? This and other traditions existed as orally passed down law. They did not exist from the time of Moses. Despite what anybody would try to tell you, this did not exist from the time of Moses. This was accretions, additions to the law, especially from the Babylonian captivity and synagogue teaching. This oral body of law became the basis of what's called the Mishnah, the written extra-biblical tradition of the Jews. Then, in addition to the Mishnah, you have then the commentary on that, in which there's kind of debate back and forth and reasoning about these things by the, by the rabbis, So the rabbinic commentary on the Mishnah is the Gemara. And this was much more developed in the 2nd through 5th centuries A.D. This is way after what we're talking about here. Um, These together, the Mishnah and the Gemara, equal what we call the Talmud. You might be familiar with that phrase. In particular, the Babylonian Talmud, you might have heard. That is the uh, kind of authoritative version of the Talmud. So Talmud roughly equals Mishnah plus Gemara. I'm no expert on this. I'm just taking from other sources that I've read and uh, frankly haven't spent any time reading those documents. I have other things I have to do, Um, although I'm sure it might be interesting. But the fact is you have these traditions that have become to them like the Law of Moses, just as much uh, weight on them, basically, as there was on the other. And that's always the problem. You have the, you know, the church uh, that says, hey, there's the Bible, and then there's us, there's the teaching magisterium of the church, or there's us, and there's these confessional statements that you have to adhere to. You get extra stuff added alongside the Bible, or the cults where you have books authored by you know, this man or that woman or whoever, some special prophet or prophetess in their in their tradition, and uh, you have competing authorities with the Bible, and guess what always happens every single time? The Bible gets second place. The Bible always gets second place when you have somebody that thinks they're smarter and, and has some you know, special insight. That's demonic, to put it, to put it uh, just flatly. Now, was there hand washing in the Old Testament? In short, there was no such law for hand washing before meals. But if I were to say to you there was no hand-washing mentioned at all, that would not be true. 
There are at least three places in the scripture where hand washing is mentioned. For the priests, number one, there was an order to wash before they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar. Where did they wash? At the laver. Remember that piece of furniture, we could call it? They had to wash there, and uh, there were special rituals about when they were inducted into the priestly ministry or ordained into it, but the regular practice was they had to wash before they did this. This is Exodus chapter 30. Now, is this about eating? Not at all. This is about ceremonial cleanliness before God, physical cleanliness being tied to ceremonial cleanliness. Second, there was a hand rinsing, I call it, because that's what the Bible in English says, a hand rinsing command for people who had a strange discharge from their body. And that discharge is not, I mean, I didn't go back far enough and read in Leviticus to find all the different kinds of discharges, but you're familiar with some of them, the leprous things, the kind of pus and different things that people have when they have infections and whatnot. And so they were commanded to clean their hands lest they pass, by touching, they pass that physical uncleanness to another person. So that's Leviticus 15.11. This has some ceremonial aspect to it, although, frankly, if somebody rinsed their hands, they still had the discharge. They were still unclean and unable to approach worshiping God in that ceremonial way. But it seems also to me to have some epidemiological value as well so that that doesn't get passed to another person. And then number three, number three, for an unsolved murder that happens out in the country. Remember what happened in that case? They would measure the distance to the cities and find the closest city. The elders of that city would have to kill a heifer, break its neck, and uh, go and wash their hands over that heifer. Uh, in order to say to the Lord that they had no knowledge of the person who did the murder. And they thus, by the death of that animal, made atonement for it, even though they couldn't properly do it because they didn't know who the perpetrator of the crime was. They had unsolved murders back then as well uh, as we have today. Now, this was a symbolic religious act that has to do with sin and, once again, nothing to do with eating. So you have these three, and that's all I could find as far as hand wash, you know, hand washing in the Old Testament. Maybe there's others. Uh, Somebody correct me. But um, MacArthur's note, for example, doesn't mention any of those. So I dug a little farther than where he was in, uh, in his study notes if you use that Bible, and you won't get that. But he's right in the sense that there was no hand washing before meals. Now, the hand washing that we advocate today you know, children everywhere are saying, hallelujah, Pastor Matt is absolving us from having to wash our hands before dinner. (laughs) No, not really. Um, The hand washing that we advocate today has no religious significance at all um, in common usage because it's meant to reduce transmission of germs and thus disease and suffering. See, they thought of it as a hugely important religious function. For us, washing of hands, I mean, the last time you washed your hands, did you think anything religious about that? No, not at all. You just wanted your hands to be clean so you might not get the next cold or COVID that's passing around. Um, There's no religious connotation of defilement or uncleanness in washing or not washing hands. The type of 
uncleanness we would think of. Now, if we saw somebody eating with visibly grimy hands, have you seen that before? (laughs) Some of you are cringing at that thought. Um, We would think of that as being an uncleanness of being unsanitary or sick, but not an uncleanness in a religious sense. I don't think that we would think, oh, that person must not be right with God. They're not, they haven't washed their hands. Um, you know, we would have to uh, you know, stretch by, by a great deal uh, to say that Christian principles of, ma- uh, uh, the principle of maintaining good stewardship, which is a principle, to say that that implies we must wash our hands regularly after dirty events or before eating, would be a little bit of a stretch, I think. Um, you know, maybe certain contexts, you know, when you're in a, a situation where eating with dirty hands like that will most certainly make you sick. That's just unwise. Um, but it's nothing like breaking tradition or sinning if you do not, you know, do that before every snack. I'll mention that sometimes um, I've been in situations where and some of you haven't had the privilege, I'll say, to have this, but have you been in a situation where you're on a work site and, um, or in a place where there is just no hygienic way to wash your hands? I mean, you're out in the fields all day. Um, <laughs> I worked at a golf course where there were no facilities yet because we were building it. And you get done with the work for the morning and you come up to the uh, barn, the barn for lunch, and you sit down and you eat. And there was no facility for washing hands that, that I remember. Uh, we did have an, a um, porta potty thing, but that, that didn't have a hand washing uh, station in it. So, what do you do? Well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the germs you get from holding on to the lawnmower handles or weed whacker or chopping trees or whatever, I mean, there's, look, there's no COVID there. <laughs> Don't sweat it. Just eat your lunch. You know, I mean, it's not like a huge deal. Uh, it might be, it might be gross to our sensibilities or whatever, but um, you know, that's how a lot of the world lives. I add, however, that this desire for germ cleanness in our context, still talking about the non-religious function of hand washing here, the desire for germ cleanness can become an obsession, so that lack of hand sanitizers or insufficient use of hand washing or COVID masking, for example, becomes indistinguishable from a religious fervor because of the other concepts that commonly accompany that mindset. Perhaps more commonly such obsessions are caused by irrational fears, such as what we call obsessive compulsive disorders. But I don't think that was part of the situation that Jesus was talking about whatsoever. It wasn't the Pharisees who had OCD, you know, and, and you know, DSM-5 or whatever it is would have told them that. Is that the latest, latest version of the DSM, by the way? Is it 5 or 4? I forget. Yeah. Anyway, that's not at all in this context. One more thing on this line of thought. The Pharisees were offended that the disciples of Jesus did not wash their hands. I mean, at at a certain point, you have to think, why do they care? Why are they sticking their nose into other people's business? I mean, this is why Paul tells the Thessalonians, look, guys, you should mind your own business, work with your own hands, stay quiet, and and, and not be meddling or uh, going about busybodies from house to house. 
In the minds of the Pharisees, this was a true and terrible offense. But it wasn't a valid offense because it was based on a man-made oral tradition. But to them, it felt serious. As Christians, we need to avoid, like the plague, taking offense over issues such as this. Because particularly those based on man-made laws and not divine laws. If someone's breaking the law of God, that's something to get excited about. But if they're not following some man-made tradition, cool it. Just let it go. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about the breaking the tradition versus breaking the commandments of God in the next section, which will be for next time. Uh, But before I do, let me just make a couple of other comments. After the Lord rebukes their hypocrisy with his own pointed question about their violations of God's law, he explains very plainly in verses 10 and 11 what his meaning is. You cannot become religiously less by eating certain food. Dirty hands are not sinful. In fact, I would say that dirty hands might be the opposite of sinful. A man with dirty hands is a man who's working, and a man who's working is a man who, if he's in a decent profession, is doing the will of God. So don't ever look down on somebody who has dirt under their fingernails. You might need to learn a lesson from them and get to work. Um, But you can't become dirty by eating with hands like that. Dirty hands are not sinful. They may be all the hands you have such as when you're going camping or an illustration that I mentioned earlier at the work site where good hygiene is not available. Dirty hands that make the food dirty, so-called, is not a sin either. In other words, you can't get dirty food, religiously dirty food, out of dirty hands. But rather, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Just remember this, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Matthew 12, 34. It's the stuff that comes out of the heart. The heart, the abundance of the heart overflows out of the mouth. Out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. Just remember that that concept. I've often caught people up short by saying, they said, well, well, I didn't really mean that. I said, oh, you really meant that. Your heart really meant that because that came out of your heart. That didn't come out of thin air. We jump down to verse 15, and Peter said, explain this parable to us, and He's the representative for the other disciples. I'm sure they were like, oh, I'm glad he asked that question (laughs) because I wanted to ask that question too. The reason that things going in to the mouth are not sinfully defiling is that you eat them, they go into the stomach, and the waste is eliminated. They're just passing on through. Um, Some of you in anatomy have probably heard it this way before. I never really thought of it this way until a nurse Uh, told it like this. She said, the elementary canal is really external to your body. You think of it. You You are a being that's folded up in around a tube that passes from mouth to the bottom, and it's it doesn't go, it's not into you. That's why they can put a scope down in there and look, you know, and stuff. It's, the body decides what it wants to absorb and not absorb, but it, it's just a pass-through channel. It's a tube. Yes, it's kind of squiggly, but it makes it through there. Um, The alimentary canal is is almost external in a sense to the body. Of course, we think of it as internal, but if you kind of turned humans inside out, the alimentary canal would be outside of their 
their, their flesh and their body. Well, in any case, sin cannot enter a person in that way. The, the intestinal, you know, the small intestines don't absorb sin from the food that you eat. It's far easier, actually, for sinful things to enter the eyes and ears than the stomach to do that. Do you understand what I mean by that? What you see can induce sin. What you hear on the radio or the television or, or through words or jokes or whatever, that can induce sin. Eating, you know, a ham sandwich is not going to do that, does not do that. The things that come out of a person's mouth ultimately come from the seat of their being, which is called the heart in Greek thought. In the Western thought, what do we call the heart? The mind. By the way, in, in biblical thought, what were the emotions called? King James language, the bowels. Bowels of mercies. Speaking of how feelings feel in your gut. So they called it that, that, you know. In the heart, they thought that's the center of the man's being. And I'm not criticizing them for thinking that. We use that phrase as well. What's your, what does your heart say? Follow your heart, everybody talks about in that foolish kind of way. But in the Western thought, it's really the mind. In, in there where sinful human nature arises is where all kinds of bad thoughts, including the origin of the desire and seed for the grossest of sins. I say that as a way to kind of subsume all of the sins, the, the evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies that are Listed there, that's, what, I think, eight or nine things. That's almost like the bad, the bad ten, opposite of the Ten Commandments here. The, 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 the vilest of things. That pre-existing stuff in a person is what defiles him. Food does nothing of the sort. So you don't add to the defilement when you eat. The defilement's already built in. As a result, Christian theology teaches that the distinction between Jews and Gentiles has been washed out by divine revelation, making it clear that food laws are relegated to the past age where God desired Jews to maintain a distinction between themselves and the Gentile pagan nations. But these laws cannot be enforced upon a group of people, a.k.a. Gentiles, who were never given those laws in the first place and those laws which have no redeeming value whatsoever. That's the conclusion of Acts chapter 15. They said, look, how can we put on the disciples a yoke which we were not able to bear, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. It's faith that God uses as a channel to impute righteousness to a person, not the works of the law. In fact, the law cannot make anyone righteous, and certainly no food law can make anyone righteous. And so the scribes and the Pharisees dealing with this highly offended at this triviality that they had constructed over the course of the years, uh, were totally off base, and the Lord said, leave them alone, just move on. You know, if they're not going to listen, we just have to go on to the next person. Sad, sad, sad testimony. But uh, the Lord calls them out for their hypocrisy on this. Let us not add to the burdens of an already difficult life. We don't have to add any more. Life is tough enough as it is. To, to be adding more stuff to it, you know, imaginary offenses and um, new laws that people have to, you know, to keep and so on. We've dealt with this with the Hebrew Roots Movement, for example, um, people trying to add, uh, take us, really drag us back into first century Judaism 
to make us acceptable before God, totally out of place. Yeah. So let's pray. Uh, Father, as we close tonight, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at the Word and that I had today to spend some time thinking about these things and writing down the notes for folks. And I pray that you would help us to not be hypocrites like the scribes and the Pharisees. Search anything out in us that needs to be removed that is akin to that spirit. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are online, we thank you for coming online tonight and joining us. Um, hope there are a good number of you out there and that uh, others will find the message helpful as well over the upcoming weeks as we have it posted there. God bless you and keep you. We'll see you again soon Sunday morning at 9.45. We'll be here. All right. Good night. Amen.